Welcome to the official broadcast of Life Fellowship Ministries in Kima, Texas. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. Be sure to visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Thank you, Elizabeth and Praise Team. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, and thank you for entering into worship. Let's recite our mission statement as we always do. Come on, you know what it is. It's to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And then the the vision or the goal is that we recite it with me, to become disciples who will impact the world with the love of Jesus Christ. And so we are doing that, you are doing that, as we walk this thing out in life and uh, uh, God uses us and God leads us and guides us. I'm, to, this morning's teaching is very different for us, for me, uh, for us as well. And um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, the teaching is really don't tolerate the Jezebel spirit. And I heard this teaching about eight years ago at a pastor's conference. Pastor Robert Morris was teaching on this topic. And, and it really ties in well with what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. We've been talking about the heroes in the faith. In the last couple of weeks, I've talked about Elijah and the things of his life. And uh, this is part of what uh, Elijah had to deal with. And uh, I guess I need to release the warrior youth. Sorry. Uh, I got so excited about this that and children's ministry, uh, you guys are welcome to go back. But uh, I'm really excited about this teaching because it's something that will help us in our daily life. I mean, the Word of God always will, but, but every one of us has dealt with the Jezebel spirit. And you may not know that, or you may not have recognized it, but this spirit is trying to kill you. That's a bold statement, I know, but this spirit is trying to kill you. And we are spiritual beings, we've talked about this before, that we are spiritual beings encased in a physical body, right? Because one day we're going to die, we're going to leave this earth, and we're going to be in heaven. We won't be in this earthly shell, but our spirit will live on. And so we're, we're consumed, we're, uh, we consist of a, a physical body, um, a spirit, and our, and our soul, which is our mind, our will, our intellect, our passions, our emotions, those kinds of things. And so our body... Uh, when our body dies, our spirit lives on. And God says that he knew Jeremiah before he formed him in the womb. How was that? It's because uh, he, he was, he's a spirit that's encased, that lives on this earth in a physical body. And then he, he died eventually, like all of us will, and we'll, uh, we'll live for eternity, hopefully with the Lord, okay? And if we've accepted him, then uh, we'll live forever. With him, but I, before I get into this morning's teaching, I want to talk a little bit about this. Let's go to Romans eight fifteen through sixteen. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. I think there is a spirit that can be attached with fear. So uh, Paul is, is writing to the early church. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when He adopted you as his own children. And so when we come into this relationship with Christ, we're adopted into the family of God. Romans 8 continues, now we call him Abba Father. And that term today would mean daddy. It's an endearing term. Abba Father is like daddy. And so again, think of a, a child that runs to his daddy and he's, he's so trusting and so endearing of his daddy. 
uh, verse 16 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And so when we come into this relationship, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and it affirms in our spirit that we're connected to his spirit. And I know you know what I'm talking about, because there's something that happens when we give our life to Jesus, we give our life to the Lord, and there's a birth, there's a new birth, there's something fresh and new that happens within us. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit, a spirit of fear. So again, we see that there's an attachment to this fear that can be a spiritual attachment. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So God has given us love. He wants us to walk in love, not walk in fear. The Lord gives us His Spirit. And, and so we've talked about this before, this, this uh, word power is dunamis, our favorite power word. Uh, and it means supernatural uh, power. Uh, I, I mean, it can be, I think God can give us supernatural power in the, in the physical. You think of Samson and all the things that he did. Uh, so God can give us supernatural physical power, but what he's talking about here is spiritual power. For he has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power. He's, he's called us to love, and he's given us the power for self-discipline. And this is not a, a self-help message or a motivational speech or anything, but we need some self-discipline sometimes. And so the Lord can help us through his Holy Spirit. He, have you ever heard the Holy Spirit say, don't do that? Don't go there. And sometimes I've gone there anyway. And then I say, I wasn't really, li well, I was listening, but I wasn't obeying. And so we have the Spirit of God living in us. There's the Holy Spirit. And then as Pastor Christine has talked about, she's experienced the unholy spirits when she goes to Africa. See, in Africa and some of these other countries, they don't have any problem with spiritual. Not like they do here in the West. Because they understand spiritual. The problem is they need to get in touch with the Holy Spirit because they can get tapped into the unholy spirit. And they do. Uh, Ephesians 6-12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's an unseen realm. You know, I think a lot of Christians don't really believe that. You can say, well, I don't believe that there's oxygen, nitrogen, argon and some inert gases in the air or in the atmosphere around us you can say that but that doesn't mean it's true and you could say well there's not really an unseen world there's really not a devil there's really not demons well you can say that but you're wrong <laughs> you can say one plus one is not two it's three you can say that but you're wrong so there is an unseen realm that is a battling for your soul and uh um there, there are spiritual beings that want to kill you. They want to destroy you. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 10, 10 and 11. The thief's purpose is what? To steal and kill and destroy. Who's he, who's he trying to steal, kill, and destroy from? Us, right? But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them, us, you, me, a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good, shepherd's, uh, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And we know that Jesus did that. 
for us. He sacrificed his life for us. So there's a real battle for your soul's eternal destination. So the last two weeks, we've been talking about the events that have led up to today's service and teaching. We've been talking about Elijah. And uh, I'm going to go back uh, uh, just a couple of scriptures just to lay the foundation here. Ahab becomes king. He is the king of Israel. And uh, 1 Kings 16.30 says, But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And when you go back and look at the history of Israel, the, these, the problem was these kings and these people began to worship other gods. And so we've talked about this before where uh, God said, don't intermarry with these tribes because they worship these, these false gods and idols. And if you marry into them, you're going to begin to compromise. You're going to begin to worship these idols. And so that, that's what was happening. First uh, Kings 19, 1 through 4. When Ahab got home, uh, he told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done, including, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So if, if, if you're kind of lost in the story, you need to go back and listen to the last two weeks' sermons, okay? So uh, Elijah has killed these prophets of Baal, and he tells his wife about the events of what had happened with Elijah, including the killing of all these prophets of Baal, that she supported. She, she worshipped Baal, and she was connected with these prophets and now Elijah has killed all 450 actually 850 false prophets Uh, verse 2 says so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them verse 3 Elijah was afraid and fled for his life so God has done all these amazing things through Elijah And this woman threatens him, and he's fearful for his life and and flees because of her threat. Verse 3 continues, He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveled all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He had just done these amazing, God had just done these amazing things through his life. And he runs off, and he he isolates himself, and he wants to die. There are two Jezebels mentioned in the Bible. There's one in the Old Testament. There's one in the New Testament. And these are not the same women, but it is the same spirit behind what's driving each person. In Revelation, I believe John has an encounter with Jesus, and he records these messages to the seven different churches. And so Jesus is coming to John and he's saying, these are the things that I see in this church. These are the things that I see in this church. These are the things that I see in this church. He's talking about churches in in seven different regions. And so this is what he says about one of the churches. He brings brings encouragement to to the church. uh, And and I believe that, that a lot of these things are relevant to the body of Christ today. Revelation 2, 18 through 21. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is a message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know the things you do. So Jesus is saying, when I look at your your works, I know the things that you do. I have seen your love. I've seen how you love people. I've seen your faith and service and your your patient endurance. 
And I can see your constant improvement in all of these things. So that's a good thing. He's seeing their love. He's seeing their faithfulness. He's seeing their service. He's saying, I, what I get from this is they've been going through some things. And he's saying, I see your patient endurance to press through, to stay connected to me. So these are all good things. And he, but he gives them a warning. Let me, say, let me pause and say this. God loves you. God loves us. And so many people have a, a, a misunderstanding of God's love. And they think, well, he's just out to get me. A good parent is not out to get their child when they discipline them or when they bring correction to them. It's for the child's good, right? And so our Heavenly Father loves us, and Jesus loves the church. This is the mechanism that he left to, to go out and impact the world, to connect believers together so that we could come together in fellowship and encourage one another and strengthen one another. And also to go out and reach those who don't have this relationship and connection with Jesus. So he says, but I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my people, my servants astray. So you notice he, his, he's upset with them because he's what? Allowing them. And, then, and in some translations, this allowing, this word for allowing is, is uh, translated as uh, permitting or tolerating. Jesus is saying, you are tolerating, you are allowing this woman, this, this woman to lead my servants astray. You are allowing this to happen. She calls herself a prophet. And this usually is a self-imposed position. Anybody that has to go and, and tell you that they're a prophet or that they're an apostle or, you know, you have to wonder, well, is this a self-proclaimed thing or, or is this something that God has really called you to? Revelations 2.20. Revelation 2.20. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. Okay, so we know from reading, reading the Bible that sexual sin is, is wrong, right? I mean, God tells us to abstain from sexual sin. But let's go to Acts chapter 15. And uh, the early leaders in the church were challenged with how do we, um, how do we follow Christ? What are the, the, uh, the rules and regulations that we need to keep? And, and now we have these Gentiles, non-Jews, coming to the Lord. What do we do with them? They have nothing in common with us regarding our customs, and so should, should, uh, should we demand that they be circumcised? Should we demand that they keep our customs and things like that? And so this council met together in Acts chapter 15, and they're discussing these kinds of things. And uh, some of the Jews were like, no, they need to, to, they need to live by the Jewish law. Here's the thing. When, when a Jew gets saved, they don't have to become a Gentile. They don't have to forgo all of their uh, festivals and things like that. They, they can still uh, keep those things as long as they're not, you know, they're not in conflict with the Word of God and, and what the Bible teaches, but they can still do those things. They just now have a relationship with Jesus. And as a Gentile, a non-Jew, like most of us, we don't have to be bound up by their laws or their traditions or things like that. I mean, we can. We can have Seder meals and we can celebrate those festivals and do some of those things. But we're not required to become a Jew to get saved as a Jew is not required a Gentile when they get saved. And so James explains that it's all about this relationship. 
It's not about all these customs and traditions. Customs and traditions can be great. They can also be a hindrance to keep us from what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And so James says in Acts 15, 19 through 21, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating meat, eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. He goes on to say, For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues every day, in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So, Again, the Gentiles did not need to follow all the Jewish rules and traditions. They only need to follow these four things. Don't eat meat offered to idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. Don't eat meat from animals that have been strangled. And don't consume blood. Other than that, you're free, man. Just serve God. Worship Him and, and stay connected to Him. There's, I, I believe there's a couple of reasons why. Sexual immorality... Um, defiles a person inwardly. And we know that the word says that when we uh, um, are sexually immor- uh, immoral, we are uh, defiling ourselves. We're causing damage to ourselves. And these other three, they uh, defile a person outwardly. So a Jew could not have fellowship with someone who was defiled before they went through a, a cleansing process of several days or whatever that requirements were. And so I, I believe what, what uh, James was trying to say here is, the, the, first of all, the goal is intimacy with Jesus. We don't want to be defiled inwardly where we're hindered in our relationship with Jesus, most importantly. And then secondly, I don't want uh, you know, these Jews and Gentiles to be uh, at odds with one another because these Gentiles have defiled themselves according to the Jewish law, and therefore they can no longer be in relationship or it hinders their relationship because it's all about a relationship, right? It's about a relationship with him and one another. And so I think these, these council of men have come together and said, look, we don't want to do anything to hinder anybody's relationship with the Lord, but we don't want there to be uh, you know, uh, hindrances with people communing and fellowshipping together. And if these Gentiles go and do these things, then it's going to hinder their relationship with the Jewish Christians. So it, it was all about this relationship. And the spirit of Jezebel attempts to disqualify us either inwardly or outwardly. From ministry and, and from not only from ministry, but it hinders our relationship with him and others. Again, this was a teaching that was taught to pastors and leaders at a conference. And, but I think that this is relevant to us today, especially as we get a little further into this thing. We're going to be able to uh, grab some nuggets that will help us in our daily life. And, and understand that... Uh, the word says that if we're causing someone offense, if, if we're causing someone to stumble, then we shouldn't do it. We should honor one another enough to say, you know what, I love you enough that, that I'm going to stop doing this. If it, if it hurts your feelings, if it offends you, if it causes a, a, a hindrance between our relationship, why? Because I love you. I love you enough. I shared a few weeks ago about there was a person that got offended because Juan and some of the guys were wearing ball caps up here worshiping. So I told him, I said, please don't do that anymore because it's offended this person. 
Is it a big deal to me? No, I, I don't see it as disrespectful. But if this person saw it as disrespectful, then maybe we need to look at that. Is it really that important that I wear a ball cap and look cool? Put it on sideways. Start rapping. You know, I don't know. So anyway, we want to honor one another. We want to love one another enough. And, and that's really the heart of, of God is that we love him and we love one another. Okay, so let's look at Revelation 2.20 continues. You are permitting... You are tolerating, you are allowing that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. As a pastor, my role is part of my role is to look out for you. I love you. I care about you. And I'm going to have a ta moment here, which stands for transparent, authentic, and honest. I've repented uh, about this because I've allowed a spirit of Jezebel to be in this church before. And as, as we'll talk a little bit later, it's not that easy to deal with that spirit. And so I've repented. I've said, God, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I allowed that. Because that's what Jesus had the, church, the a problem with the church at Thyatira, is that they, what, allowed the spirit to lead uh, God's servants astray. So now, let me say this too. We have to differentiate between controlling and accountability um, because this spirit is controlling. And we have to also determine, we have to dis, kind of discern between personalities and controlling spirits. There, there are people in this room that have strong personalities. I'm not looking at my wife right now. But that's a blessing. But it's different than having a controlling, manipulative spirit that gets what they want. Okay, see, that's the difference, I think. When you have somebody that's controlling and wanting just their way, and they're manipulating people and situations so they get what they want, that's different. Um, I've, I've shared this example before, too. When I was uh, working in the lab, I was, we were doing some research on a project, and my boss came to me and said, hey, I would like for you to publish a letter for the company. And... Uh, talking about these experiments and, and what you've done. So I want you to publish this letter, and it's going to go out. So I wrote, I wrote up this uh, report or document, and I gave it to my boss, and it had all of the experimental data and stuff that I had uh, collected from these experiments. And I gave it to him, and he, he brought it back, and he said, well, I, I think you ought to change a couple of things here. I think you ought to change some wording here. Maybe you ought to take this out. Maybe you ought to add this or whatever. And so I could have walked away and said, oh, he's a control freak, man. He wants me to, to change this, this report or whatever. And uh, it's my, huh? I don't know what it is. I think I need to change this cable maybe. So uh, anyway, uh, he, he said that he wanted me to change it. And I could have had this attitude, well, you know, you're a control freak. You just don't like this or you don't like me or, or whatever. And... Uh, uh, so anyway, um, I did, I changed it. Why? Because I felt like he was wanting me to write the best report because this report did not just reflect me. It reflected him. It reflected the corporation. And so we have to discern between somebody that's controlling because of what they want and accountability. I was accountable to him and understanding what he was wanting me to do with this report. So there's a difference there. 
Uh, let's, let's read on here. She teaches them, this Jezebel teaches them to commit sexual sin and eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. So, again, Jesus is bothered that they are permitting, they are tolerating, allowing this person to lead others astray. And here's the problem, here's a couple of issues with the Jezebel spirit. It can be difficult to discern between a personality and a Jezebel spirit. Because, again, uh, just because somebody has a strong um, uh, personality, let me call it a strong personality, doesn't mean that they're necessarily operating in a Jezebel spirit. The other thing is, is when we deal with this spirit, we don't want to confront the spirit because of what we're going to get back. And I've had to deal with the spirit, and it's, it's, it's not fun. Um, again, this, this was a teaching that was taught to pastors at a pastor's conference. Because uh, anybody, and I'll, I'll say this too, that anybody that's in a leadership position or a position of authority, you have to be careful because uh, this spirit will try to attach itself to someone and get to you. And now, you know, we don't have to be paranoid, all right? But because the word says, greater is he who is in us than he who's in the world. Greater is Jesus in us than, who's, than he who's in the world. But this is something that we need to understand and we may have to contend with. And this spirit comes against all of us. In general, uh, if, you, if you dread confronting someone, it's possible that there's a spirit there. And you may, you may be thinking of someone right now that you work with, maybe somebody in your family, maybe, I don't know, a neighbor or something like that. And, and you're like, man, I just, I know what they're doing is wrong and, and I just don't want to confront them. I don't want to say anything because there's just this almost like a fear that rises up in you. And so you don't want to confront them because of the over-the-top over reaction or you, you don't want to deal with the rejection that you're going to get or whatever that may be. And so if you're allowing someone to do as they wish because you don't want to confront them, it very well could be that you're dealing with a spirit here. It's not easy to deal with. It happens in the church, happens in the workplace, happens in families. I've seen it in, in all of those. I, I can, uh, even now more so, I can recognize people that I used to work with that were operating in this spirit because they were manipulative, they were controlling uh, they were difficult to deal with. And the result of a Jezebel spirit is often dissension, division, and stress on you. And uh, another reason I wanted to, to talk about this during this series is because we're going to see that, uh, that Elijah was dealing with this Jezebel spirit, and we're going to see the exact effects that I'm talking about let me, let me read on here. So every person has been affected. They've been controlling or they've been controlled. Every one of us, you know. And that, you know, we've, we need health and healing and wholeness in our lives. What we need to do is we need to submit to the Lord and, and allow him to be Lord of our lives and not trying to get our own way, not trying to manipulate our own things to get what we want. 
And so Elijah actually addressed two spirits here. There's no Jezebel spirit without an Ahab spirit. Ahab was her husband. There, there's an account, and I'm not going to read it, and I'm not going to spend much time here, but Ahab was the king of Israel. And there was a man that had a vineyard adjacent to his castle or kingdom or you know his land or whatever. And he said, I want that. I want that vineyard. So he went to the man and he said, hey, I'd like to uh, buy this vineyard from you, or I'd like to possess this vineyard. And the, and the guy said, well, no, I, I really don't want to sell it. This has been in my family. It's part of my heritage, part of my inheritance, and uh, I, I, I don't want to give it up. And so King Ahab, he, he's upset. He goes home and he pouts and he's you know, upset. And his wife Jezebel says, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, I want that vineyard over there, and, and uh, I, he won't give it to me. And so she said, well, I'll go get it for you. So long story short, she kills him. He gets killed, and so he takes possession of the vineyard. But that's the thing with the Jezebel spirit. They will manipulate. They will connive. They will do whatever it takes to get what they want. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, and I don't want you to answer because you may answer the wrong question. What king, what Jewish king conquered the most land. I know some of you want to say David. Well, it wasn't David. He was number three. It was Solomon uh, conquered the most land in Israel. The second king that conquered the most was Ahab. So you can be a great conqueror and be in bondage to a Jezebel spirit. <coughs> okay. So let me say this too. A Jezebel spirit can operate in a man or a woman. I know it's a woman's name, but there are men, and I'm going to give an example of men that have operated in, in the Jezebel spirit as well. Herod the Great was one. Herod the Great was called Herod the Great because he did some great things. He built some things that you can still see to this day. And, in, uh, and there were, when you read about Herod, in the Bible, there were a number of Herods, so it's not always the same. It was a title. So when you read about Herod the Great or Herod, uh, you know, these different Herods, those are different people, but it was a title. And so he was, he was always manipulating people to like him. He was very insecure. Um, he, he killed, um, I think, all of his wives or a number of his wives and. He killed his favorite wife, who was a Jew, and he later regretted that he killed her. <laughs> Real sweet of him, wasn't it? Um, but he, he was very insecure. If he saw people talking and he thought that they were talking about him or something, he'd have them killed. He, um, he was on his deathbed. He was dying. He knew that he was going to die, and he knew that his son, his favorite son, would, would take over and be king. He had him killed a few days before he died. I mean, this man was extremely insecure. Um, so let me give you six characteristics to help you recognize the Jezebel spirit in someone. One, insecurity. You find that they are extremely insecure. Number two, you'll find that they've been rejected in their life. They may be very prideful. They may be very arrogant. They uh, manipulate and they control. So when you see somebody that exhibits these characteristics, they may have an open door to allow the Spirit to get in them and lead them and guide them in this way. 
And I can think of a few people that I've encountered that, that I believe have uh, been operating in this Jezebel spirit. And one of the things that I, I saw consistently was insecurity. Very insecure, which can lead to pride and arrogance. I think I was having a conversation with one person one day, and I said, uh, you know, I just I sense that you're really prideful and really arrogant. And I said, I think that pride and arrogance comes from one of two places. Either, uh, you know, you, maybe you've been extremely hurt and wounded, and, and so you're trying to compensate for uh, maybe being put down, or uh, the other thing is there are some people that are just uh, arrogant, and, and I don't believe that uh, that's the case with you. I, I think it's just insecurities, and he said, I'm, I'm not insecure. So, well, I guess you're just arrogant then. And so insecurity can cause us to do a lot of things and to try to compensate. And, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you've been told you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anybody. Well, First of all, that's not what the Word says. The Word says that you, above all creation, are His prized possession. You are His masterpiece. So that's why it's important we come into alignment with God's Word and what He says about us. The other, the other thing that could cause somebody to be prideful or arrogant is somebody say, you know, you, you don't have to put up with that. Do you know who you are? <laughs> and, and so there, there, there can be two sides of the same coin that can cause people to be insecure are prideful and arrogant. And, and I think pride and arrogance are a direct result of insecurity sometimes. So um, this spirit can operate in men and women. It's manipulating. It's controlling. Uh, it comes from insecurity. It could be, it come from jealousy. And it's, it's rooted in rejection and, and insecurity. And it leads to manipulation and control. So let me, so I've talked about some of the things that will help us recognize if someone is operating in a Jezebel spirit. Again, this was a teaching that was given at a pastor's conference and try to help pastors because pastors deal with this. I'm telling you, they deal with this. And, and, and the reason that I wanted to share this today is because it, it ties right in line with Elijah and the teaching that we just did. But also you have to deal with it too. I know you do because I worked in the workplace. I worked around people. I saw it in people. And so I want you to be able to understand how you can maybe identify what's going on in a person so you can pray for them, so that you can love them and, and help them understand how they're hurting and, and how they're hurting other people. So the effects of a Jezebel spirit, one, is fear. Because you don't want to deal with that thing. I don't want to confront that person because I know what I'm going to get back. It's going to be an over-the-top reaction or it's going to be this whole, oh, well, you're rejecting me too, just like everybody else and all this guilt and manipulation and stuff. You don't want to deal with it. I know. I've been there. What did Elijah do when Jezebel threatened him? It's a spirit of fear. He ran. Let's look at 1 Kings 19.3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he, said, he told the king, look, it's not going to rain until I say so. He called down fire from heaven. He killed 850 of these false prophets. And all of this he's done, the power of God has worked through his life, and this woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he runs away. A spirit of Jezebel he was dealing with, and fear is one of the things that you're going to suffer or that's going to want to come on you when you're dealing with this spirit. It's a spirit of fear. And there have been people that I've been uneasy about addressing things with. Because they have the spirit. 
And let me tell you, it's not the person. It's the spirit that's intimidating. And because people will open themselves up through insecurity and rejection and things like this, it allows that spirit to come into their lives. Here's the thing. We can stand up against that spirit. Because God's spirit is greater than that spirit. So the Jezebel spirit has power because we tolerate it. Simply because we tolerate it. Because we don't want to confront that thing. Because we know what we're going to get back. And it has no power when we stop tolerating it. And it's a constant battle for people in authority. Not just in the church, but if you're in a position of authority, you're going you're gonna to deal with that on some level. You may not recognize what you've been dealing with, but you may have been dealing with this. It attempts, it, it attempts to attach itself to you through someone else. Many people who operate with the Jezebel spirit have been rejected by their dad and have a controlling mom. Now, it's not always the case, but it's the case in, in some situations. Jezebel was given to Ahab by her dad to form an alliance. She didn't say, hey, look at that good-looking guy. I want to marry him. He, she was given to Ahab to form an alliance, which we saw a lot of times in the Old Testament, is that, hey, look, I'm going to give this king uh, my daughter so that, so that we have this connection, or, or his son marry my daughter, or whatever. And so that was the thing here. So um, they, uh, people that have the Spirit may try to control to avoid rejection. They may try to control the situation because they don't want to be rejected. Um, the most subtle way a Jezebel spirit gets into a leader's life is through a friend. It's a subtle thing. And um, sometimes it'll be a situation where this person often can feel called. I'm called to be your best friend. I'm called to minister to you. I'm called to serve you. I'm called to be your intercessor. I'm called to be your armor bearer. Listen, I don't need an armor bearer. I don't need somebody to serve me. You know, you've seen some of these pastors, and, and they run around, and they've got these people carrying their Bible and doing all I, I don't need that. I don't need somebody carrying my Bible. I'm a human. I don't need a servant. A servant. I, I, you know, I, I, just, I need to serve God, and you need to serve God. You don't need to be serving me. So, again, we have to distinguish between a person and a spirit. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner, right? We love the, the person, but we don't necessarily, necessarily like what they're doing and, and if they're causing damage in their relationship, their marriage, their home. And so we have to distinguish between a person and a spirit. They can be very good people. They may not even know that this spirit has taken up residence um, through an open door of rejection. They may not even realize it. The Jezebel spirit hates you and the ministry that you're serving in and is trying to get to you. They may say things like, well, I, I know uh, you're, you're the number one person, but I'm, I'm your number two. Um, listen, serve God. Don't, don't serve me. They always want to be next to the person in authority. So if, maybe you can think of some people like that in your life right now. They always want to be next to the person in authority. They're always trying to manipulate or control to get what they want, and they try to do that through leadership or person that's in authority. So the effects of a Jezebel spirit on a, on a person or fear is one. The second thing is isolation. 
uh, when you want to get away from everything and everyone, it could be that you're dealing with the Spirit. Uh, again, let's, let's look at Elijah as an example here in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. He left his servant there. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm running from this thing. I'm going to leave you here, and I'm going to go on. He left his servant there to get away from everyone. Verse 4, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Solitude is not a bad thing. Jesus got alone with, with God, the Father, right? And so he would find times where he would be in solitude. It's, it's important for me. It's important for you to find times of solitude where we just spend some quiet time with the Lord. But that's different from isolation, where isolation is withdrawal, reclusiveness. Solitude is getting alone with God. Isolation is getting alone with me, and I'm not that cool to hang out with. It's much better when I'm connected to the Lord. And so when we're dealing with something like this, this can be a result. We, we're fearful. We don't want to confront that thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had people in your lives like that? That you're like, man, I just don't want to, I don't want to confront that thing because, you know, it's just going to turn into a mess and, and you're fearful. Or, and or you, you want to isolate yourself. The third effect is exhaustion. It will wear you out. Uh, let's look at 1 Kings 19.4. Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And so I've had enough, Lord, he said. In this Hebrew, it's, an, it's more like an excla exclamation of, enough, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. And so it's translated here in English as, I've had enough. In other words, he was saying, I've suffered enough. I'm tired of living. I'm done. Just, let's just be done with this thing. And then he says, I'm not better than my ancestors. I'm not any better at bearing these burdens as I think what he was trying to convey. Listen, I've seen how my forefathers, the things that they didn't do, where they failed under the burden. I'm not any better than them. I'm tired. I've had enough. I'm not handling it well. Just kill me. <laughs> uh, verse 5 then he lay down and slept under the broom tree but as he was sleeping an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water so he ate and drank and laid down again he was exhausted dealing with the spirit will wear you out because it sucks the life out of you and when I've had to deal with it, it's been a consuming thing where you're just thinking about this, this person or the, the situations time and time again. And it, it, it's literally, it's like trying to suck the life out of you because you don't want to confront it. You don't want to deal with it. You're fearful. And so you, you try to isolate. And, and, and what, what happens is you just get caught up in this hamster wheel and you're exhausted. Uh, you can... The problem can also lead to sleeplessness. Uh, and also, the fourth point, fear, isolation, exhaust, uh, exhaustion, and depression. And uh, he says here, Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord, 
He said, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And so depression can set in. And again, and this was, he was talking to pastors and I did a little bit of research on my own preparing for this message. And uh, this, this is common to, to leaders. It can be very common. Recently, we've had several Christian, prominent Christian leaders commit suicide. And you're thinking, how does that happen? These are Christian leaders who, who, are, who are involved in uh, a, a large ministry. There should be people around them that, that are loving them and helping them. How is it that they could commit suicide? So many pastors struggle with depression, burnout, uh, they struggle with low pay. Their, their spiritual life is, is drained. Um, their relationships are strained and longevity in ministry. There are a lot of pastors leaving the ministry. It's just too stressful. It's like, look, I can just go over here and work this job and not have to put up with all this stress. The, the biggest stress from, from spiritual stress is, is the biggest stress from leading a church is the spiritual stress. Yes, there's a lot of stuff you have to do, and you're constantly, you know, uh, pouring out and giving. But the greatest stress comes from just the spiritual pressure. And some of you guys know what that's like. But I tell you, when you get into a senior pastor role, and I, this is not a feel sorry for me thing, and it's just a reality, you don't know what it's like until you get here. Because <laughs> I've been like second in command. I'm like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, all right. Well, when you get here, it looks a little different being here than being over there and looking at this person. And so many pastors struggle with these things. I've talked to pastors and said, Mark, I deal with depression, man. I'm like, let me pray with you. Look at what God is doing in your life. Look at what God is doing in your church. Come on, man. Come on, I'm with you. I'm here for you. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Uh, I, I read some statistics. It said 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 71% are burned out. 72% of pastors say they only study the Bible when they are preparing for a sermon. 80% believe pastoral ministry has had a negative effect on their families. Oh, that makes you want to, want to get into ministry, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, 70% say they don't have a close friend. Ministry can be very consuming, and it can be very uh, difficult. And there are a lot of times when you just have to go this thing alone. I mean, there's nothing anybody can do. You just have to say, Lord, you have to help me. And we have some other examples here. Moses said, if, if you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Just kill me. <laughs> Moses! <laughs> Jeremiah said, yet I curse the day I was born. Jonah said, just kill me now, Lord. <laughs> Thoughts of suicide become, could become... Uh, uh, evidence of someone dealing with a Jezebel spirit. Thoughts of quitting. You know what? I'm, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired. I'm quitting. Elijah. And dealing with the Jezebel spirit. Um, 
It's difficult. But the thing that I want to do today is I want you to understand maybe some, some uh, give you some identification when you're dealing with people that they may be operating in this Jezebel spirit. And then the other thing that I want to give you is the consequences when you're dealing with this. Because if you're dealing with fear, if you're dealing with isolation, if you're dealing with exhaustion, if you're dealing with depression, you know, that, that could be, there, you may be dealing with some of this. Now, I know everybody has a bad day. Everybody can be depressed about something. But I'm talking about just a heavy oppressiveness. And so you can be gracious with the person, but you cannot be gracious with the spirit. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. Okay, be gracious with the person because they may not even know that this spirit is operating through them. But you have to deal with that spirit. And under depression, let me give you a couple other things. Uh, under depression, you could have suicidal thoughts, thoughts of quitting. You could have sexually impure thoughts. You could have strange and prolonged sicknesses. These could be indicators of dealing with the Jezebel spirit that has gotten close to you and have inroads into your life. Um, they manipulate through guilt, and uh, they'll make comments like, you're rejecting me just like everybody else. They'll, they'll, I've had conversations with people that I believe were operating in this, this spirit, that they have, have an open gate through insecurity and rejection and things like that. And you'll be talking to them, and they will twist the conversation, and you'll be going, what, is that right? You know, I mean, you'll be confused. They will try to twist things around and manipulate and control things. You'll, you'll start questioning yourself and what you know to be true. <laughs> it's crazy. So how do I address it? Address, uh, address it in the person and remove him or her from all leadership or areas of ministry unless he or she repents. And if he or she repents, then you probably have a process that you need to walk through. Um, also, remove that person from any personal influence with you. Because, again, that thing will try to attach itself to you through another person. And so you can't remain friends with the person that's not humble and teachable. Uh, that spirit will continue to try to get to you and affect you. Keep in mind, the spirit wants to kill you. And again, this was a, a teaching that was given to pastors. So we're talking about the implications of that, of, of pastors quitting and, and, uh, and, you know, just throwing in the towel. And uh, Pastor Robert Morris even said that uh, he, he had just had enough. He'd been dealing with the spirit. He said, I've had enough. And he said he sat down with his wife, Debbie, and he wrote out a resignation letter and was going to turn it in. This is Gateway Church in South Lake. And he said, this is the church that God gave me that I've been a part of since day one. And I'm writing this resignation letter, and I'm ready to quit. And he was going to turn it in, and the next day the Lord spoke to him, and he said, I did not authorize that conversation last night. So here's what you need to do. If you're fighting this, if, if, if you're dealing with somebody that has the Spirit, you need to get with God. I would suggest you seek counsel and you take action. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And the enemy wants to take you down. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. If, if you feel like 
you're operating in a Jezebel spirit. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've been, you know, really hurt and wounded. I, I, wanna, I want you to stand up and I want to pray for you. And also, if you feel like you're dealing with someone that has a Jezebel spirit, and, and uh, if, if, you're, if you feel like you're operating in a Jezebel spirit, or you feel like you're dealing with someone in your workplace or something, I want you to stand up right now. I want to pray for you. Anybody here? Come on. Come on, don't be, don't be ashamed. This is a safe place. Anybody else? Okay, I want to pray for you. Lord God, I, I pray for anyone here that maybe feels like they have opened a door <clears throat> through insecurity or rejection and is allowing this Jezebel spirit to work through their heart and through their life, Lord God. Father, I pray that you break that off of them right now in the name of Jesus, that you set them free, that you would bring health and healing and wholeness to their lives, Lord God, that you would heal these areas of insecurity or rejection or whatever those things are, whatever the root cause is, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would set them free. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, I lift up those that are maybe dealing with a, a Jezebel spirit in their workplace or in their family or in their neighborhood or wherever that looks to be. Lord God, I pray that you give them fresh revelation and understanding and how to deal with this situation. And Lord God, that they stop tolerating it. In the name of Jesus, they stop tolerating this thing because that's where it has power when we tolerate it because we don't want to confront it. I pray for boldness. I pray for the wisdom and, and counsel of God to stand up against the Spirit and that, that you will help them, that you will deal with it, Lord God. But sometimes you call us to deal with it. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be freedom and release for everyone that stood up this morning, maybe is watching online, I pray for freedom and release in every life because Jesus, you came that we would have this deep, personal, intimate relationship with you. And this thing can hinder us, whether it's operating through us or whether it's trying to attach itself to us, Lord God, it's a hindrance. And so, Lord God, we pray that you break that thing right now in the name of Jesus. And we give you praise and glory and honor and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I want to thank you guys that were bold enough to, to stand up and, and join me in prayer for that. Um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And that's so that we can connect with him, that we can live the abundant life Jesus came to give us so we can go out and live it. Thank you for tuning into our broadcast. For more information, be sure to find us at our website at www.lifefellowship.me or call us at 832-864-2800. Have a great week and remember to live it. God bless you.